I guess look at your your pain points, you know, and and and, and figure it out, you know, what's sucking up a lot of your time. What what do you what can you pass off? What's your best skill set? You know, for you know my skill set is numbers and, and relationships. You know, but someone else could be capital raise, whatever it is. Then look for those weak points, you know, that you can pass off and have someone manage it. Like this is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build multiple streams of passive income through real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Gary Lipsky from Break of Day Capital. And today we're talking about asset management of multifamily properties. And we're going to dig into that. Gary's going to define that for us, what asset management is. We're going to talk about how asset managers work with property managers and construction managers, how he runs his business as an entrepreneur, how he decides to hire people. So much. A lot of information in this one. As a little bit of behind the scenes information, Gary and I had actually scheduled to record this interview a day before we wound up recording it. But we had an unfortunate accident in my home. One of my cats, uh, unfortunately, got injured in a door. She's okay. We took her to an emergency vet. She, she had to have a, an emergency surgery where they removed part of her tail. Very sad. She's home now with me. She was home during this interview, and uh, she was a bit of a handful during the interview. She doesn't like wearing the coat, uh, but she's doing well. She's home. She's fine. She's going to be okay. But just to give you a little information, if you hear some background noise in the interview or us uh, or me mention her or anything like that, yeah, a, a, a post-surgery cat uh, in the room. And I wanted to recognize and thank Gary for his flexibility with rescheduling our interview on such short notice. He was very you know, helpful and, and kind about all of that. And I appreciate him working with me on that. But we're back. Cat's okay, and life's moving on. Yet another reason, I think, to build a strong financial you know, background and build reserves, have savings so that you can be ready for those unexpected expenses. Life happens, and we need to be ready. And uh, fortunately, we're all going to move forward. Unfortunately, one of our cats is a, is a little bit shorter than she, is, she used to be, but she's doing well. She's going to be fine. And uh, it was just a, a painful day yesterday but we're all good today. Once again, thanks to Gary, and uh, I'll move on. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I invest in commercial, multifamily, and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what I do, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, and schedule a call. You can also learn more by going to ntcapitalgroup.com. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I see your reviews. And it gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Today, we're here with Gary Lipsky. We're talking about asset management in multifamily investing. There's lessons in here for the passive investors out there. If you're investing in a syndication, you need to know that your syndicator, your operator knows what they're doing from an asset management perspective. We're going to dig into that today and so much more. Without any further ado, here we go. 
Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about yourself and what you do? Yeah, I'm based in Los Angeles and we buy value-add properties in Phoenix and Tucson. You know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, got into real estate investing in 2002, right? The first house I bought, I looked at it as as a way to build wealth, not as a forever home like my, my parents did. And and just kind of leapfrogged that way and, and buying houses, turning eventually fixing them up and turning into like a rental property until I got into multifamily full-time at the end of 2016. I had sold a business that I was in and just spent a year educating myself and investing in other people's deals before I started doing my own deals. Awesome. I love that. And so you focus in particular on multifamily real estate now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. And you've, I think, carved out an an interesting and a fairly unique niche in uh, what you're a thought leader in, in the multifamily space of asset management, which I think when people make the transition from single family investing to multifamily investing, asset management is kind of one of those new topics of like, what is asset management? How's it different from property management and all that kind of thing. So let's start with, you know, the basics of what is asset management? Yeah. So I think a lot of people get confused between property management and asset management. And property management is is managing the day-to-day. Asset management is that 30,000-foot view. You're managing the, the property manager. You're managing the, the, the CapEx budget, your business plan, and you're making sure everything is getting done in a timely fashion. And you're, that includes measuring you know, everything. You know, what gets measured gets managed. And holding your team accountable. And a good asset manager and make a bad deal good and a good deal great. So it's very important that, you know, for, for past investors that they're, they're making sure that they're, the people that they're investing with have a big focus on asset management and, and, and there aren't that many that do. So how would you even start to assess that, whether a, a sponsor has a focus on asset management or if they're just going to let the property manager run things, which is not a, maybe the best plan in the, the long run. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you can ask for a, um, a monthly newsletter that they provide to their investors because what kind of detail are they supplying? You know, we'll, we'll provide, you know, budget versus actual NOI on uh, income on expenses. It never matches perfectly. You know, it's not like a straight rocket ship of, of, of NOI, you know, going, going up. I wish it did, but okay. You know, these are the things that we face this month that there was a spike in one thing, you know, if we're facing obstacles, talking about that, you know, openly and then how we're solving problems. And if you're seeing sponsors newsletter that doesn't address these things, that could be a red flag that they're not really actively engaged in, in asset management. They're not revealing really what's going on there. I just, you know, sugarcoating everything, you know, wanting to make it look good so that they, people keep investing and nothing goes perfectly. And so we're, we're always very transparent with our investors because even on deals that were really tough, we've done, we've done very, very well with them because of that asset management piece. So I think asking for that newsletter is important, asking them how often they, they visit the property, you'd be surprised. Operators, how few 
how, how little they visit their properties. And we like to do it on a consistent basis. Even when we're stabilized, we like to drop in. We like to drop in unannounced. We secret shop them. We, we, we test them on a consistent basis. If they feel that we're getting complacent, then they can get complacent. They're going to be as, as engaged as we are at the property management company. So if they know that you're constantly engaged and constantly pushing, they're going to do that. They're going to raise that bar. So that's very important. Okay. Okay. So just to clarify, you're uh, suggesting that folks ask for, you're suggesting that folks ask for one of those monthly newsletters before they invest in the deal. Hey, show me a newsletter from one of your past deals. Not, you know, after, after you're already in a deal, the monthly newsletter should already be coming out. Yeah. Okay. And, and for the listeners behind the scenes here, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about this in the intro too, had a little uh, pet emergency uh, yesterday. Gary and I had to reschedule and I had currently have a post-surgery cat in my office and she's really milling about, but uh, no, she's fine. Anyway, Gary, I appreciate you, your flexibility and understanding around this. So uh, back to the asset management <laughs> conversation. So these things all cost money, right? Asset management, property management all cost money syndications will usually have an asset management fee to pay for that service. What do you think is a reasonable range for an asset management fee? Yeah. So your typical asset management fee is 2%, but quite honestly, that, that doesn't, that doesn't cover it at all, but at least it's, it's some, some money to help defer the cost of your overhead of, of managing that property. So what would do you, uh, that doesn't cover it all. What, should it be higher to cover everything or is that just a, is a shortfall like a, in a sense, like the sponsor buy-in? Yeah, I haven't seen people that uh, on a multifamily could push it to three or even four percent. Certainly, when you have a big property, there's a there's a lot more money to be made on the asset management side. But uh, typically, it's going to be two percent. It may be on a small deal; it might cost four percent. Quite honestly, but you know, the GP typically just it's part of their, you know, thing that they just, you know, suck it up and then get it on the back end, you know? <laughs> okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now you've mentioned that a good asset manager can turn a bad deal into a good deal and vice versa, bad man, bad asset manager turning a good deal into a bad deal and make sure we get, get all that straight. So what are some ways in which you can, a good asset manager could turn a bad deal into a good deal? Yeah, it's, it's, it's shrinking timelines. And so we're always looking to shrink timelines between, you know, getting, implementing your, your, your business plan. You want to shrink, shrink timelines on like renovation. So if we're renovating a unit, we know ahead of time when that person is most likely going to move out. So we want to make sure all the, the kit is there, you know, the, the new lights, uh, the vinyl for the flooring, whatever you need, you should have it ready to go. You should have your rehab team ready to go. Um, and, and then you want to monitor your team along the way to make sure there's no bottlenecks so that it's, you know, fixed and rented and, and, and paid for within three weeks, you know, whatever it is, you don't want it lingering five, six weeks. Oh, we're just waiting on this. We're just waiting on touch up aid. And now you've wasted, you know, three, four weeks time without anyone paying rent. And then you multiply it, let's say by a hundred units over the course of two years, that's a lot, a lot of money that's, that's costing you and your investors. So 
you always want to shrink timelines. You know, if you're before you take over the property, you know, do, are your vendors ready to go? Or, you know, like, are you at that point working on a color scheme for your property or coming up with a name after you've taken it over? Get that stuff done beforehand. So it's you're rocking and rolling. I, I take over. So the top, topic of timelines is very important in any real estate deal, especially with time-based metrics like IRRs, which everybody's looking at. Now, during the pandemic, it's no secret that, say, supply chains were pretty severely disrupted. It was tough to get things like appliances. Hopefully, a lot of that seems to be changing, but it could theoretically happen again. So was that part of the asset management struggle for you throughout the pandemic? Yeah, you know, so you've got to source other other materials, other appliances if it's not working out. If you're if you're if you want a stainless steel appliance and and they, it's costing more, it's just taking forever, then you got to get black, you know, like or or find other vendors. And if it's a certain fixtures that you're looking for and it's gonna it's gonna take two months and you're ready to go, find a different fixture. You know, it's it's great when everything matches perfectly throughout all your units, but at the end of the day, it's costing you money. And so just, just get it done. And some people I know buy in tremendous bulk, you know, if you can do that, that's great. But if you can't, then you might need some different fixtures to, to just get it done and get someone in there paying rent. So in my experience, you know, asset managing, running deals, there's a certain frequency of, you know, just communication with property managers, whether it's weekly, biweekly, monthly, whatever you need to do to deliver a deal. What do you think is the right frequency for an asset manager or sponsor who's doing asset management to just hit up a property manager and say, hey, standing, you know, Monday afternoon call just to go over the progress. Is that too frequent? What's a reasonable, you know, touch point frequency? Yeah, we do every week, every, uh, you know, once a week we have Zoom calls, not a regular phone call. We want a Zoom call. We want to see everyone and go over everything. We have a, a weekly sheet that they need to fill out uh, in detail. And so we we have all that information ahead of time. And, you know, as it moves towards stabilization, which takes time, you know, maybe we haven't done it really, but even if it's five minutes and we're everything good, we got all the numbers, any questions, boom. Like if it's even five minutes, I still think it's valuable to have it on a consistent basis because you find out things if it if it's not if you're not being consistent, it can it can lead to uh, to problems. So that consistency to me is key. As part of staying uh, top of mind with the the property manager, kind of like you mentioned before. So, in addition to you know the other the other supply chain the supply chain issues that came up during the pandemic, there were a lot of staffing problems that you know we're still going through depending on where you are, what you, what industry you're in, but. Property managers were hit by that as well. Now, is that getting too far out of like trying to help help the property manager hire people? Is get, that getting too far into the day-to-day -day operations in your opinion? Like how would you handle a property manager that just can't get staff? You know, would you step in and try to help or what would you do? Yeah, you know, that's, we rely on the property management company and and we actually let one go because they were just having so much turnover between the regional property manager the property manager maintenance staff and they just they just weren't getting getting people in there we're like we we need to make a change but that's really on them because they it's they have to fit into their system so it's really important 
you know, what we'd rather do is pay someone a little bit more uh, and find a good person that's going to be there long term and not be so concerned with just, you know, like a low cost person because it'll it'll more than pay pay yourself off. If you pay a, a few thousand more, it'll be worth it in spades for for a strong property manager, leasing agent, maintenance supervisor. It's well worth it. Okay, that makes sense. So that brings up a good topic, though, of, you know, firing property managers. Like, how do you make that decision? I mean, I've been involved with, you know, underperforming property managers, and you know, somebody had to fire, and then we'll get to it, I'm sure. But there are some property managers who get a little vindictive when they find out they're getting fired. So let's dig into how you make that decision, how you handle that decision, everything around that. Yeah, you know, it's it's not an easy decision. Firing someone is, is is never easy. I felt like we've we've even stayed too long with someone because they were nice and you know, and and we liked them, but at the end of the day, whether we like them or not, we still have to perform. And so you set up your expectations in the very beginning. And if they're not meeting the expectations, then you go over everything again and you know. How can we be better? How can they be better? And and if they're still not hitting the mark, then you've got to make that change. You can't wait because after you replace them, you realize, man, I should have replaced that person much sooner because you start seeing all the different things that, that weren't getting done that that was that were hidden that you didn't necessarily <laughs> see. So you know, certainly give them a chance to succeed. And but if they if they are not succeeding, then you can't hesitate and you got to. You got to move forward and it's, it's, you know, don't make it personal. Just be, you know, like it's, you got to make it, you know, got to do what's in the best interest for your investors and, and make that change. Okay. So have you to hit on the vindictiveness part again, you know, I've, I've heard tell now this is, ha this hasn't happened to me, but I've heard of, and I know folks who have terminated property managers and property managers, you know, fire up the shredder and, you know, start changing bank account information, all kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing, but they do anyway, because they don't, you know, they kind of want to take it out on you for getting fired or whatever. Have you had to take those steps to, you know, protect the business or have folks mostly, you know, played it above board with you? Yeah, we had one person that she had already had a, a, an apartment in the place. And was it, she's like, refused to pay rent. Mm. There were people that were coming up and saying, she gave us a birthday month free of rent. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, this, that's so absurd. This is ridiculous. One person actually had it in their lease, but a few others did not. And there was, she was claiming we owed her money on some things. And we clearly showed that we, you know, we didn't. There was, you know, some of the things we had to deal with were uh, unfortunately below the board, but. You know, we just, we kept it professional. We did what we had to do and we moved on and, you know, the property is kicking butt and thank God, you know, she's no longer there, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, you know, you'll experience all kinds of, of obstacles along the way. And there's always a new one that pops up, you know, every, every few months, but you know, you, I mean, that's the job of an asset manager, you're, you're you're solving problems, you're dealing with issues and, and on to the next thing that pops up, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So one of the problems that can happen with any company as they scale is the left hand kind of stops talking to the right hand. I'm getting my hands right here in the video. I got a left hand with the right hand. So <laughs> I had to check. Uh, so the left hand stops talking to the right hand. And as these teams grow, they're doing more acquisitions. But you know they still have the teams doing asset management and running the deals. But maybe those communication lines break down. Have you seen any times where folks are making mistakes where the asset management team is maybe not communicating with, say, the acquisitions team or vice versa adequately, and then, you know, ways to fix that. I mean, you, I don't know if that's come up in your own business or just observing uh, the industry in general, you know, ways, best practices around making sure teams are cooperating and, you know, delivering for investors. Yeah. And, you know, I've tried to hire ahead of the game because it really takes a while to get someone up to speed, maybe six months up to speed. So I'd, I'd much rather hire the head of the game and get, you know, get them rolling. I do it a little unorthodox compared to other people. So I have an asset manager slash analyst. I want to see someone take it from the day we find it all the way through because they know the deal better than anyone. They, if they know the numbers, why am I taking them off and handing it on to an asset manager? <laughs> they, you know, they, they know everything, they know the business plan, they know the numbers. So. I don't think it's, and people have argued, you know, against me, which is fine. Everyone can have their differing viewpoints. I think an, an analyst can be an asset manager too. And I'm, I am there also like their backstop, quite honestly, I'm part of the calls. I'll, I'll give my input, but they, they know the deal. They've dealt with the lender, you know, I'm taking them along the whole way. And as we get, you know. We've been selling deals on a consistent basis, but if we were consistently growing our portfolio, I would add another analyst slash asset manager, and they can be, I could bonus them based on their performance of finding a good deal to underwriting it correctly, beating their performance uh, all the way through versus hitting it off and then, you know, pointing fingers or, or miscommunication, you know, between the next person, you know? Yeah. So that gets into, you mentioned hiring, that gets into the entrepreneurial business owner, e-myth. I think I have the, my copy of the e-myth right yeah. behind me here on my, on my shelf. The e-myth aspect of, hey, you're hiring people, you're filling these roles, you're an entrepreneur before you were, you're, you were in this space. Are there any other key hires that you've made in your you know, asset management or you know, just investing journey that have really been like a stepwise, big you know, step up in your, in your game? Yeah, having an executive assistant or like an operations person. So the person that we have handles all the paperwork with investors. She'll do some social media. She'll do research, all, all the stuff that I, anything I could pass off, she helps with. And that, that just frees up my time. So I can focus on, on again, that 30,000 foot level stuff that, you know, deals and investors. So that is definitely worthwhile. I know a lot of people use VAs which is a very inexpensive way to go. I decided to have someone more in the States that just understands uh, the language better so they can, she can do a lot more different things. Again, everyone to, to each their own, what they, they do. Uh, paying for, for other team members or partnering with someone else really goes a long way to free up your time. You only have X amount of hours in a day. And if you pay someone, whatever that salary is, 50000 a hundred thousand, a hundred fifty thousand, and you do one more deal a year, that will more than pay for it, and it'll free up yourself as well. So you know, get a team so you can turn it in from a 
you know, let's say um, a mom and pop shop to a real business, you know? So how do you decide what that next acquisition is? That next, not acquisition, uh, that, that, that next hire is rather the, the right person or the rather the right role to hire for, because I, you know, if you had your, any business owner, if you had your preference, you just hire everybody you need right away, but your money is finite. It doesn't really exactly work that way. You got to hire the right role at the right time to, you know, grow your best, the whole 80, 20 analysis and everything. How do you decide you know, for yourself, what is the next role that I need to fill? Yeah, I guess look at your your pain points, you know, and 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 figure it out. You know, what's sucking up a lot of each other? What what do you what can you pass off? What's your best skill set? You know, for you know, my skill set is numbers and and relationships. You know, but someone else could be capital raise, whatever it is. Then look for those weak points. You know, that you can pass off and have someone manage it. Like so, my analyst slash acquisition person. He is really good at keeping everything super organized and all the due dates and the, the lender requirements, getting them to on a monthly, quarterly basis. Let him do all that stuff and I can stay, stay at a high level and focus on what I can do. So yeah, just, just hire for your weaknesses. You know, you can only improve a weakness so much. So just hire for those, those things, you know, can ease that burden off of you. And when, what is your ultimate goal? I mean, do you want more freedom of time? Do you want or money and you know that that'll help you know everyone's got you know a, a different viewpoint on what is best for them so you know if you're if you're willing to invest more and more help then i'd say go for it because you'll be you'll be happy you did nice okay so another aspect i want to touch on that comes up in this quote you know management part of, of multifamily is there's asset management property management and then in that space, also construction management, where when we're adding value, there's a lot of construction to be done. Somebody's got to manage that. Some property managers will do it. I've spoken with asset managers who want to own the construction process. What's your preference when it comes to the construction management part of a, of a deal? Yeah, for the most part, we only had one deal with a very heavy construction component. And so one of our GPs has a lot of experience on that or with that. Typically, we rely on our third-party property management companies who have someone on staff that has dealt with the vendors that know it really well. Like when we'll do DD on a property, they'll have guys that, you know, check out the roofs, the, the plumbing, the electric. Certainly, they'll bring on vendors, but they'll, they'll know, they'll have a level of expertise themselves and can, can give me that feedback immediately during DD. So I'm not waiting for... Uh, a report two, three weeks later. So I'm relying on them. I give them a 5% construction fee for some of the, you know, the outsourcing and, and management of, of those bigger projects. Uh, and it's, it's well worth it to me. If I was starting to get into big, big lifts or, or obviously a construction, then I would need a construction person on my team. Yeah, that would be a, a big full-time thing. But in the multifamily value add space where it's usually not a very heavy lift, it's, you just want to make sure it gets done on time and on budget, but it's not uh, major structural or anything like that. Cool. All right. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital 
by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Gary, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Hit me. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, we just sold a deal about uh, two weeks ago. We blew away the, the return expectations in under, under 20 months. And our investors were thrilled. I was thrilled as a GP. Uh, it wasn't an easy hold from, you know, from, from the purchase all the way through to the, to the day we sold it. But uh, it, sure, it sure made us a, a lot of money. So that was a, a great, great deal for us. Great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Thankfully, in, in none of my multifamily deals, we've always been, we've always beat projections, which is phenomenal. But even in the homes that I, I buy personally, I always want to do really well. And I typically, a minimum 4X my money, but I'll, there's one house that we did buy for my family. Uh, we basically broke even after a couple of years. Uh, so that was a disappointment. That was my worst real estate investment. Mm, bummer. Yeah, they can be big losers. Was that in the LA area? Was there any great recession involved there? You know, it was just uh, just bad timing. But yeah, we you know all all the houses I bought were in LA. We've done phenomenally well with those because I I would always again I that's where I started my value add play, like opening up kitchens and doing different things and buying it up and coming neighborhoods. But this one just. For some reason, it didn't resonate with uh, with buyers, and uh, unfortunately, we we broke even. Um, that was that's you know my my worst investment. So gotcha. Far. One last clarifier there. I don't know if you're still doing that strategy, but did the live there the, the the capital gains tax exemption play into your your strategy at all? You had to live there for the two out of the past five years, so on and so forth as a primary residence. Was that part of your strategy? Yeah, and we don't do major major lifts, but. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we, we've, we've used that to uh, our advantage. Yeah. Great thing to use. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah. So the, everyone's heard this before your net uh, worth is your net, your net worth is your net worth. And I wish I knew that earlier. Certainly I've developed a lot of great relationships and that's why I've been able to, you know, scale to much bigger deals. Um, but boy, if I am, uh, used that much earlier in my career, uh, that really would have added rocket fuel to my, to my business. But, um, it can start, you know, with, as a kid, you know, building that, that, that network and, and, and building those relationships. And I advise people to do that, you know, as start as early as you can and it will, it will pay dividends. Nice. I love it. Well, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your flexibility with my timing and you know pet-related issues. Uh, if folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, if they want to find your book or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. Best in Class is uh, my book. You can find it on Amazon. It's an Amazon bestseller. And um, you can go to our website, breakupdaycapital.com, and you can book a call. You can get our investor list. 
you can learn everything about uh, what we're doing. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and buzzy feeling as I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.